This is the MDT Podcast. A podcast for all healthcare professionals working with older adults. We are a multidisciplinary team educating about ageing. MDT. The MDT is brought to you by the Hearing Aid Podcast team. We focus on a different topic each week to work with you to enhance your knowledge to help you look after older people. Hello and welcome to this episode of the MDT Podcast. I am Dr Joe Preston. I'm a geriatrician in South London. And I'm Dr Ian Wilkinson. I'm a consultant geriatrician at East Surrey Hospital in Surrey. And today we're going to be talking about identity in mm-hmm. the ageing process. Yes. I'm very excited about this episode. Yeah, Joe's been talking about this quite a bit. So we're going to talk about what identity is, a little bit about exploring the development of a person's identity through the ageing process, mm-hmm. looking at a bit of the life course model. Mm-hmm. And particularly we're going to be looking at theories of ageing um, and how they apply to identity in the ageing process to understand how ageing may impact on identity and also to understand how older people may view the process themselves. And we've enlisted two of our faculty members to help us with this uh, because this is something that I think we're conscious that maybe we don't have the full oversight on this um, at all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so today we have with us Tapiwa Moffat. I'm Tapiwa. I'm a clinical fellow at East Surrey Hospital. And also Jackie. Hi, I'm Jackie Lelks and I'm a senior lecturer at the University of Brighton and a social worker. And both mm. Tappy and Jackie are members of our faculty. They are indeed. And you can read about them on our website. <laughs> <laughs> so although Ian says that, this is something that we covered a little bit in my master's a couple of years ago in gerontology, which is why um, I think where I got my first glimpses into this and why it's really important for older adults. So I'm the fish out of water. You might be. <laughs> so, But I suspect you're not alone, <laughs> which is why we're doing this episode. Uh, lots of what we're going to talk about today is really important to your daily interactions with older adults because it's going to sound a little bit theoretical as we go through we talk about theories of aging and things like that but really it's to give you a kind of frame a kind of lens to look at aging in and what your role is um, in your interaction with older adults and how what prejudices you might subconsciously bring or what stereotypes you might bring or things that you might not be considering about that person that's in front of you that you're working with. I think it's really important to understand those things to be able to establish a good relationship and to be person-centred and to be open-minded as to what's what their needs are, not just medically but personally. So we're going to run through a couple of things that we spotted on social media or Twitter this week. And shall I kick off? Yeah. Yeah. So I'll just do another plug. There's some really good things on the hashtag #EndPJParalysis. I think it's really good. Um, and have a look at some of the posters that people have put up on there. But uh, my thing this week was an article that I saw tweeted uh, by Sibley Rahman. And He's a dementia guy. He is one of the dementia guys, yeah. And the article is entitled, Do Cognitive Interventions Improve General Cognition in Dementia? Hmm. So by cognitive interventions, there's a range of things from cognitive stimulation through to uh, other more specific cognitive interventions. But the key point really was that cognitive stimulation, so that's being in a stimulating social cultural environment, increased the MMSE but probably not to a point that was clinically significant. None of the other cognitive interventions increased MMSE or um, ADS-COG. 
So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. It sort of plums with some of the things that we're going to talk about both in this episode and the well-being episode about keeping active and sort of personal ideas of of, of self and mm. sort of conceptions of self, really. So mine is slightly different, but quite different from that, and it's more about um, practice. So this is something that I saw Helen Bevan tweet on Twitter, unsurprisingly. And she's um, the transformation lady. She is. And Innovation lady. was a nice little infographic called 10 Lessons We Can Learn From Our Mistakes. And I thought it was really, really nice, especially when we're trying to be kind of opening cultures, sometimes reporting incidents or admitting to mistakes can seem like a negative thing, but this kind of highlights the real positives that can come from it. So, for example, reflection. So it gives you an opportunity to learn from your mistakes and look at what went well and what didn't. It gives you some perspective, so allows you to review situations from different perspectives, helps you to cope in the future. Um, look at obstacles, plan for things not happening like that again in the future, build resilience, um, teach us about becoming responsible for our actions, teach us how to work in teams well, um, teach us about the importance of learning and continual development to improve skills and helps you with problem solving in the future when you encounter that situation again. And it's called 10 Lessons That We Can Learn From Our Mistakes and it's really, really nice because it just shows the positive aspects um, that come from admitting mistakes. So allowing you to review, what can you do better next time, build resilience, problem solving and teamwork in the future. So thinking about what is ageing and what is older age... The World Health Organization talk about people being over the age of 65 as older. Mm. And the number of people over the age of 65 is predicted to increase worldwide from 524 million in 2010 to a whopping 1.5 billion by 2050. Mm. But also the proportion of that to the total population is also increasing because the population on the worldwide is growing. Mm. Um, so some of that tripling is world population growing, but the percentage of older people within that population is growing faster mm. than the rest of the population. So this is something that is really of global as well as national importance, um, and that's why we want to do an episode on it. And obviously ageing will be different in different cultures, one of the things there immediately that pops out is that the World Health Organization have picked the age of 65. Mm. And let's be clear that they've done that for ease because there are so many different cultures around the world. There are so many different ways in which ageing can be framed that picking a number is a universal language. And that's why they've done that. Yeah. And that number that they would pick will change as the years go on. So if we were having this discussion 200 years mm -hmm. ago, the year age would not mm -hmm. be 65. It mm -hmm. might be 25 or 35. And if we have this discussion in 200 years' time, who knows? Maybe we will say that age will be over 120. So we don't know. So usually we start with a definition, but when we, there isn't really one, which is kind of the point of the episode. So we're going to talk through how ageing might be defined as kind of the main bulk of what we talk about, really. So one thing we looked at was how ageing is defined in the literature. I think, um, obviously, the most obvious one is physical mm -hmm. um, or biological decline in our bodies. So as we age... Our sort of ability to our functions of our body decrease, don't they? So I think that's a really obvious one, really. That's a common one. It's the one that people yeah, kind of go to. Quite that's easily, the one we usually it? go to and mm. and and think about. And it, and it, it's interesting, really, that it's that often it's also obviously often the one that if we're not physically declining, we see ourselves as younger. 
So it mm. it has a real impact in terms of where we see our age because if we're well, then there's lots of research that says that actually we don't perceive ourselves to be old. So I think that there's a that link is quite mm. an interesting one, which yeah. isn't it? Um, and then obviously there's uh, obviously our cognitive decline as well mm. is the other area where which the literature looks at in relation to to aging. And obviously how we may lose our memory or we become quite forgetful. Maybe we may develop a dementia type illness or a dementia. Um, and therefore therefore things become quite a challenge for us and we lose our memories and we lose our identity through our loss of memory mm. of events. And it's something that's quite, uh, not not completely uniquely, but majoritively ascribed to older adults yeah it's not really identified with with younger adults no really occasionally but not very often yeah. and i think there are also global differences i think aren't mm. there amongst uh, dementia rates with yes. people as mm. well yeah yeah um, which is interesting and some of that is tied into the biological aging yeah in that you know for a cohort of humans to develop cognitive impairment they need to get to a certain biological age before that starts to to occur but the other part is that yeah social marginality and that's sort of we, where we see, um, as we age, we become subject to discrimination as well and how people view us and mm. we can be discriminated against. We can also look at age, though, as a natural process or something inevitable, a fact of life. So something that just something that simply happens, but also something that may need adaptation or might even be transcended. Next, we're going to talk a bit about the different ways in which you might construct or or apply rules to ageing. So there are some theories of ageing that link to various constructs. When I first saw this bit in the script, I thought we were now going to talk about the disposable soma theory <laughs> and all of that sort of stuff, but no, we're not. Ian was like, where's my physiology? <laughs> yeah, no, we're not talking about that. No, that's not coming in here, I'm no. sorry. Um, well, I'm not that sorry. Um, but we are going to start with biological which uh, Jackie has mentioned already, kind of looking at increased propensity to illnesses and disabilities and physical limitations that you might associate with older adults. And that links into our frailty model. Yeah, it really does. harks back to the frailty episode where we Mm. talked about what being frail, uh, sort of biologically frail, means and uh, the frailty index and the frailty cycle, all of that sort of ties into the very much the biological uh, viewpoint of ageing. Yeah, and how we talked in that episode that it is it is associated with age, but it's not dependent on age fully, as in chronological age. Um, so that's one of the commonest things that we apply in the healthcare arena anyway, is, is this label of frailty and uh, with ageing mm. based on this kind of more biological aspect. Some of the others are chronological, so at age X you are old, which is what we just talked about with the mm. World Health Organisation. And then the two other big areas would be psychological and social. So with psychological, it's kind of uh, you are as old as you feel and the kind of mental attitudes and things. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, you know, there's lots of research around and studies around that talk about sort of you're that saying you're as old as you feel in a sense. <laughs> um, and that actually many people they don't they don't see themselves as that age and when i've spoken to people they often say they get a bit of a shock when they look in the mirror um, <laughs> because they define themselves by a very different age yeah. and then they look in the mirror and they see this old person staring back at them 
Mm. Um, and that isn't what they perceive themselves to be. There's that really nice picture, though, isn't there, of that lady in a, yes. in a wheelchair, so like a cartoon of a lady in a wheelchair, and when she looks at the shadow, she's a ballerina. Yes. Yeah. And there's a nice study by Rubin and um, Bernson, published in 2006, that where they argue that from midlife onwards, older individuals feel about 20% younger than their actual mm. age. Mm. Um and people often say that to you all the time, don't they? They say, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm maybe 80, but I still feel 20 <laughs> or I still feel 60 yeah. or, or whatever. It's when you talk to people about maybe going to a day centre and they say, why would I go there? It's full of old people. Yeah. Yeah. My nan said that, she's 94. And, you're yeah. like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> and there, there are a few studies as well that we'll put links to in the show notes showing that older adults who have more positive attitudes about their own ageing tend to perform better on memory tasks, they're more likely to engage in positive lifestyles, less likely to show decline in disablement process and to live longer. Now, obviously, that's really difficult to pick apart, whether they're a, a subsection of people that are, you know, kind of feeding back into that as a kind of cycle themselves or not, but I think it's an interesting association anyway. Mm. And another theory of ageing is social. So... This one I think is really interesting. So it's based on your situation and the people around you. So this kind of links to cohort ageing. So it's dynamic and it's time sensitive. And what it really means is that older adults now won't behave the same as older adults in 20 years time. And that's because of some of their different experiences and different demands. So Joe, I think you had an example of this. Yeah, so there's quite a nice thing about um, the influence of cohorts and the life experiences that you will have had in, in younger age. So just giving some examples, if you were born in the 1930s, you were starting work in the 1950s, you were brought up post-war, um, you were the parents to hippies, you were the grandparents to uh, Thatcher children. If you were born in the 1950s, you went started work in the, around the 1970s, you were the hippies, you had in your future middle-aged wealth. Um, if you were born in 1960, you were going to work in the 1980s, so in the early era of consumerism, um, if you were born in the 70s and you were starting work in the 90s, you've only known consumerism and you were Thatcher's children. So even in just that short period of time, that kind of 40 years of when people were born, hugely different life experiences. Mm. And we can only expect that to move through the cohorts. And so as Sappy was saying, the people that are, are older adults that we're looking after now will have had completely different experiences in 20 years' time. My granddad used to run a bathhouse um, and swimming baths. And they were called baths because they were literally the only place people could have baths. And so there were mm. loads of mm. sort of like cubicles with individual baths in them. And you would call up and you'd say, I want to book, you know, bath number six. And they would uh, put the hot water on and run you a bath. And mm. you would come and have a bath in the <laughs> bath. And it's, people didn't have baths in their homes. Which is something you, you know, can't even imagine now, isn't no? it? So the, the, the change over those 40, 50 years is... is mm. It's mind-blowing, really. It really is. That links to life expectancy as well, which is constantly changing. So um, that alters throughout your life course. So one in seven 65-year-old women and one in 12 newly retired men will now celebrate, will now be expected to live to celebrate their 100th birthday, which is hugely more than than several years ago. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think that's also recognised, isn't it, by um, the increases in retirement age? Mm. So, which are constantly going up and, mm. uh, and up. And you can imagine, I mean, it's, what, 67, I think, now? Yeah. And um, and that will only increase. So there's also that recognition, isn't it, of, a, of longevity for people? Yeah. I think now we'd like to talk about frailty, but not 
the biological term frailty, mm. more about what it means to older adults, what that word means, what the, the assumptions and perspectives that come with that. Mm. And the reason we wanted to do this is, as we say, it's a label that we freely apply. But actually, there's some good research from Caroline Nicholson um, that shows that people that we may, uh, by criteria, identify as frail, um, as professionals, um, don't identify with that themselves and actually don't like the term. Which is why we try and use, uh, don't say that person is frail, but we try and say this is a person living with frailty. So it's not a label. Yeah. It is is something that's happening to them. It is seen as a very negative label mm. with, with connotations about sort of giving up and mm. the end of life. Mm. And uh, Age UK talk about um, frailty coming with conceptions of being, as I said, end of life and, and uh, living with cancer and high levels of functional dependency. Mm. Whereas biological frailty doesn't necessarily mean those things, but that's what the perception of the older person is. Mm. And that's what it means to them. And if we take those people as probably the end of the biological spectrum, if you like, from health to um, towards end of life, if those people aren't identifying themselves with this label, that's why this is so important to understand all those different nuances in, in between. Mm. I think it's interesting, um, this idea that obviously, you know, people, older people tend to distinguish between the body that one is, so our self-identity, and how we, uh, how older people, I'm, I'm saying we, just because I think you said earlier that it was 50 and I was thinking, oh, I'm an old person <laughs> when we had a chat before. Um, but older people, um, how they identify their body and that self-identity, mm. um, as opposed to the body that one has. So that physical uh, frailty, that vulnerability that people have and how we objectify that um, that identity that somebody has of themselves. But also it's really important, isn't it, that we recognise that by calling somebody frail, that we're labelling them and we're providing them with a stereotype mm. of what we see as uh, as, as ageing, a view which then if we call somebody something enough, they'll start to self-identify that way, mm. isn't it? Mm. And I think it's really important that we we, we work with people to, to maintain their them being active and engaged yeah. and, and, you know, as fully involved in the community as they can, really. Yeah. I think that's what some of the research that um, Carolyn Nicholson and her group found was that um, some of the barriers to maximising independence during hospital admission were the attitudes and behaviours of care staff mm. um, and that they they found that rarely were pre-admission levels of capability were sought and that the comprehensive geriatric assessment um, that people experienced didn't always take into account the strategies that that person had developed to deal with those vulnerabilities Absolutely. and self-perceived strengths um, and that the care interventions focused solely on problems and incapacities which actually then further perpetuate Absolutely. The, the levels of frailty. This sort of idea, isn't it, that um, that we have, to, we have to shower every day or bath every day yeah. and actually why, in a sense, if you're able to wash and, and be mm. clean, you know, and to, to live independently and have that... Mm life that you that you want to have so next we're going to get next level geeky <laughs> moving down the the ladder here um and split some of those series of aging into some of the themes um of aging and those are broadly speaking three and there are some different theories in each theme so we'll talk about them as we go along um the three main themes are functional so finding a role and quite often this means uh, the people 
coming up with these theories and themes. So finding a role for older people, critical, which is fighting a preconceived role. Um, and the third is culture and identity, so choosing a role. So first of all, talking about functional, which is finding a role. Um, the main theory here is activity theory, which asserts that there's a positive relationship between activity and life satisfaction. So what's that saying is that the greater the loss of activity, the lower life satisfaction that person will have. It's quite a framework to impose on someone, isn't it? And I think I've certainly met lots of people who aren't that physically active but are quite happy. Mm. So that mm. with all of these, there are tensions and mm. they're, they're obviously not perfect. I think we've all seen people for whom that's not true. And the, well, the, the underarching theory to that is activity theory. Yes, absolutely. And, it's, you know, it is around how different activities can really contribute to the well-being for the older person. Um, but it's and also but also Havikhurst um, talks about activity theory and it wasn't just physical as well. I think it's about social and psychological mm. activity as well, which is as important as physical activity in a sense. So how do we keep our brains active and engaged? Um, and obviously, you know, if we if we can do that continuously across people's uh, lifespan and that really helps them mm. in terms of their longevity. So I think it's also important that it's not just about activity, is it, as we get older, we need to start that image, keep that going from mm. middle age, really. And yeah. and if we can keep that going, then um, as we age, that will really help um, yes. in terms of our identity, etc. So that's the main one in, in functional, the kind of finding a role. So next is critical, which is fighting a role. So... We're going to talk a little bit more about those now. So the first is political economy. So seeing ageing as a public issue and not a private mm. issue or an individual one. And it very much focuses on the links to economic life. So we were talking about retirement age earlier. Um, and that's one of the common things that comes in there with the political economy framework of, of ageing is that when you retire, you are old. Mm. Is that because you stop contributing in an economic sense to society that society places this label of retirement meaning old age mm. which has changed even in the last sort of 20 years hasn't it that actually if you're retiring 65 and okay we're all going to retire a lot later but I don't think universally we would call people who are over the age of 65 anymore as old. No not at all I think and I, and I think actually there's also a move isn't there to for older people to to either come back into the workforce if they have mm. retired as well. Yes um, that muddies the waters there yeah, hugely. Yeah hugely because not just a because of the work, lack of workforce, mm. but also because of their knowledge yeah. that they bring, and and then being able to get, impart that knowledge to other people is, I think, hugely mm. significant as well in there. And an economic model will never fully encapture that because there's not the financial element, but there is huge wealth Absolutely. in that knowledge and that experience. And what was interesting, linking back to your point earlier about uh, older people caring for grandchildren, mm. that's also contributing economically, isn't it? Because they're caring for their grandchildren, yeah. which may not have historically happened, mm. and therefore the, therefore their their children yeah. are able to work as a result of that. Yeah. I remember going to a talk a few years ago from Baroness Greengoss, who talks quite a bit and very eloquently about older people in the workforce. And she felt actually that there is an economic argument to having older people as employees. Because if you look at the retention of employees, if you are employing an employee in their 20s, they're much more likely to leave after two or three years. Mm. Whereas if you employ someone that is already retired, they're much more likely to stay mm. for a good length of time. Mm. Um, and there are some big companies... Um, I can think of particularly some 
home improvement companies. Supermarkets. Um, Yes, supermarkets and uh, DIY type shops who actively seek out older people because Mm. of their experience and the fact that if they employ them, they will stay Mm. for five or ten years. So, you know, we've just broken apart that theory then, really, haven't we? But that is one that is is quite commonly Mm. applied. Mm. Um, Another is uh, feminist theories, which are tend to be a bit newer because lots of the older theories um, are based on a very male model that men were the ones that went to work, they were mm. the ones that retired, they were the primary worker, where actually we need to look, and the feminist theories are looking at reframing that in light of the fact that women are, they accumulate disadvantage over their lifetime. So they usually spend less time in work. So if they have time out to have children, that they will work less during their time they will be paid less as a consequence and overall that they will contribute less to um, pensions but they will also have longer life expectancy which I know men are starting to catch up now Mm. so they actually have a longer period without earning so actually we need to reframe some of that um, to make sure that we're not not disadvantaging people um, in terms of... Tend to work part-time as well. Yeah. When they do, when they are working, women have a higher propensity of part-time yes, work than full-time. Well, also, I think thinking about the identity side of things, uh, sort of in a t- traditional sort of household, maybe you know, twenty years ago or so, I think for the for the men as they age, there's a very clear change in identity from breadwinner mm. to retiring. Mm-hmm. Whereas actually, the 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 woman's role in the house didn't necessarily change that much um other than that there was now a man around a lot but all the other <laughs> all the other things that that the that they were the, doing was still doing is still doing you know yeah. and so they they are biologically aging but mm. don't have a clear defined yeah social cultural aspect to mm. that aging mm. yeah there's this idea of successful aging which is avoidance of disease disability and staying high functioning and socially engaged but it's very culturally specific to the west i think and and it does raise the question what about people who don't age successfully as it were are we implying that they're failing at aging Mm. and i think that it imposes quite normative and sort of youth values upon aging people yeah and that one irks me quite a lot because it's quite often um projected this really positive thing that aging is positive Mm. it doesn't have Mm. to be negative when actually all it's doing really is saying we're ignoring all of those things that may come with age and all of those challenges and, and things that change. Um, if you avoid them, you've successfully aged, mm. which is not, not, I don't think, overall a healthy thing. I it's think, not very helpful, I don't think. No, I don't. I think it is quite useful in terms of ageism to kind of highlight that there is, as you were saying earlier, Ian, this kind of heterogeneous group of people obviously. <laughs> but I think sometimes it needs stating. Sometimes people see it as kind of, oh, they're old, this whole group. Yeah. Yeah. But I think people often forget that, you know, an 80-year-old person has had 80 years to become different to yes. the person they stood next to, mm-hmm. as opposed to a 20-year-old person that's had 20 years to mm. grow different. So actually, you know, how, how dare we really <laughs> group all these people together in one, you know, group of people group, yeah. of, of old age, you know, it's Based on things we're finding it difficult to even define. (laughs) (laughs) And I think uh, moving into the last section of the episode, we're going to talk a bit about um, body image, um, which there's been quite a bit of research into women Women. and body image. Mm. Not much about men, which is a bit unfair. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe not. Um, 
I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> Wise. <laughs> it is around, I think, it's um, the, the stuff around body image is quite interesting as well. I was just reading something before I came in around that there are increased numbers of older women with obesity problems, but also with body image problems mm. and being treated for things like anorexia as a result of mm. that. And I suppose particularly anorexia, from my perspective, is often associated with young people. Mm. And we're seeing that in increasingly with older people as mm. well. And that whole thing about your body image and, and you know, everything that goes with, with ageing and everything dropping, I suppose, <laughs> and altering and then maybe getting larger or thinner as a result mm. of that, which I think is quite interesting. But also the pressures that that, that society puts on us to age well mm. and to look good yeah, and uh, and to dress well and and uh, to be engaged in things, I think, is quite... But it's, so it's uh, that social, sort of social construction, really, of our identity. Mm. And I think, you know, a really good example of that is around the media, mm. where it's very... I think there was a big thing, wasn't it, Meryl Streep or someone not recently, about the lack of good roles for, for women. Yeah. Older women. In, yeah. Older women in, in, in the media mm. and how they're portrayed. And often I was reading something that said that um, older women are often uh, either sort of really nice mums or really controlling mums and that's the image that tends to come across whereas mm. men are portrayed very differently I think mm. and that, and to say that lack of choice really for people as well. Mm. Um, the other sort of image of uh, is that people are seen as a burden aren't they in relation to you know I've seen that in the media quite a quite bit a about bit. isn't yeah. it around the problems with the NHS because we've got an aging population and they have increased needs and that the younger population have got to the pay they, for them the yes. they. They. who are they, <laughs> they. they. people talk about they. this silver tsunami as well or uh, aging tsunami don't they yeah. like it's a you know a terrible thing to be avoided it's going to destroy us all. Yeah. <laughs> but it's interesting that, they, that it's the older generation that are labelled as being the, the difficulty mm. in inverted yes. commas, isn't it? Because I'm sure across hospitals there's a huge range of people in hospitals. Yeah, settings. and you know, a, a lot of this has come from successes in treating and better mm. health in middle age and mm. at younger ages, which is a success of modern healthcare and public health. So why are they getting the blame for that mm. at the end for having a treatment that was available. That's Mm. not fair at all. So we've looked at identity and we've looked at how there isn't really any definition of ageing and some of the themes and theories of ageing. So going on from here, we've got a little self-reflective exercise for you to try. Uh, Why don't you try getting a piece of paper and thinking about how you will be at age 70. So at age 70, I will be, my body will be, and at age 80, the same, and what you expect from ageing. And we'll pick up on some more of these themes in the wellbeing episode. And we're going to start looking in that episode about what we can do in our midlife to preserve and maintain the identity that we want in our older life. To do with identity, I think I used to always think, oh, I only know who I am if I'm wearing a label, like an Ofsted inspector or a Montessori teacher or visiting lecturer. But once I retired, I I began to um, have other projects like art history and doing an MA and researching a PhD and and now I'm you know doing the archives in the university, which mm. I need that sort of slightly academic stimulation. Mm. 
and it's lovely being part of the university and going in and seeing all the students and the librarians. I enjoy that. You know, life's very full. And uh, recently I, I joined a life drawing class, but even though I made a lot of progress in it, I felt quite nervous about it. Yeah. And um, I didn't go back this term, but yeah. I think I might go back after Easter have another go. In terms of how ageing has affected my identity, I think particularly as you get older and I've physical, physically got problems with arthritis and things, it affects you in the sense of I always thought I was reasonably healthy and saw myself able to do things and I can't now and a really good example is I attend a dance class and I've always absolutely loved Latin American dancing. This is the first dance class I've uh, attended and I actually cannot, I have a knee replacement, I can't physically jump. And some of the people, some of the times you have to jump. And it, I really, because I can't keep up, it sort of makes me feel quite old and I don't know whether I'm seen as... I don't think of myself as the fat old person at the back, <laughs> at the back of the room. Once upon a time, I would have been in the front row with all the ones that look at themselves in the mirror, in the, in the leotard. It's what, it's what comes with the age. Age itself doesn't bother me, but it's what comes with it. It's having dodgy knees and not being able to do the moves and, uh, you know, being overweight. And inside, I'm still the person that can do all the moves yep. and I've always thought I was a, a good dancer and had a good sense of rhythm and uh, and I'm thinking I know I have but anybody looking from the outside won't won't know that so uh, I think that's an issue the MDT podcast and now it's time for the MD teaser this is our casually titled MDT item guessing game mm-hmm. And, Joe, I think you're going to go first this week. Okay. For those of you who have not heard this before, Joe's going to try and get me to guess uh, an item that Tappy, who is our clinical fellow, has written on a card. Also on the card are a series of words that Joe is not allowed to use. Yes. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. This is a device that you would place on your head. You could put it on either side of your head. And is to help. Stethoscope. It is to help. No, sorry, I'm shaking my head. It um, is to help earphones. one of your senses become uh, more type, efficient. Type of a hearing aid? Glasses? Yes. No, hearing, hearing aid. aid. Yes. That was 23 seconds. Ooh. Ooh. All right, you'll go. So this is something that delivers oxygen. And Tubing. you wear it. It's after that. Nasal cannula. No, it's another. It's bigger a than that. A non-rebreathe mask. Yes, it's an oxygen mask. Sixteen seconds. I totally win. No. <laughs> the point of the game is for me to get you to guess quickly. I win. <laughs> Let's call it a draw. <laughs> so the words I was not allowed to use are face, breathe saturations, gas, air and tubing, but I was allowed to use the word oxygen, ah, which I think made it a so. bit easier for me. I couldn't, for hearing aid, I couldn't say deaf, impairment, loud, shout, ear, hear, lip read, amplify or sound. Mm. Mm. Long list. Long list. 
And now we have one for you. Yes, indeed. In fact, no, we don't. Well, we do, but we have an answer for you. Mm-hmm. And then we have a new one. And then we have a new follow. one. Yes. So the answer for the sound that you've been listening to is... It's alcohol gel. One of those boxes when you're yeah. squeezing the alcohol gel. Yeah. yeah. Now that you know what it is, it's, it's obvious. Yeah. Yeah. So we have a new sound for you. We do indeed. And that is this. So if you think you know what that is, contact us. And you can contact us via Twitter. At MDT underscore podcast using the hashtag MDTeaser. On Facebook. At MDT podcast. Uh, or via the website, which is www.thehearingapodcasts.org.uk. We'll just play that clip of sound once more for you. Think you know what that is? Drop us a line. If you're the first person to contact us, you will get one of the coveted MDTs and mugs. And that's all from us this time. The MDT will reconvene in two weeks' time. Dr. Wilkinson has previously received funding from Astellas and UCB Pharmaceuticals for delivering educational activities. The MDT Podcast is a Hearing Aid Podcast's Big Things Media production. Additional music by Kevin McLeod. This podcast has been made possible from a technology-enhanced learning grant from Health Education England, spreading education throughout Kent, Surrey and Sussex. For more information, visit thehearingaidpodcasts.org.uk. 